Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bizarre Encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed, to chat rooms, to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media, or feel free to email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 61st episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Jamie J, researcher and counselor. How's it going? Good. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on the show. We had some bounce around for a little bit, but we finally made it work. So I guess to yeah. uh, be getting rolling into it, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, uh, what got you into the realm of thinking that you have? Oh, geez, that's, those are big questions. Um, let's see. Yeah, I guess I've just had like kind of a weird life. Um, nothing kind of worked out as planned. <laughs> the universe had other plans for me. Um, I ended up um, spending a lot of my life researching and reading. Um, I still kind of live in a library. I've got like more books than I could ever read in my life. And just kind of, I guess I've downloaded quite a bit of information into my brain more than a normal person probably should. Um, <laughs> there's a lot spinning around in there sometimes. 
Um, and then, yeah, so for work, like I've worked in mental health for a long time and I have a really broad background. I've kind of done a little bit of everything and been exposed to sort of like every social ill and <laughs> psychological problem. And um, so I learned a lot through my work just from working directly with people. Um, and then I just like, I just love research. So um, like I've kind of spent a lot of my life really trying to understand the dynamics of power and control and abuse and um like psychopaths and cults and cult abuse and um yeah just really people violating other people's rights is really kind of a point of contention for me that I've really tried to wrap my head around and see what kind of solutions I could um you know contemplate in that area was there anything in particular that kind of got you rolling into that field or like a like a red pill moment where it went from something that was kind of just surface level, just trying to help people and then became something way more in depth? Uh, no, I, it wasn't really like an overnight thing for me. It was kind of more of like a oscillation back and forth um, where I was sort of like reading I was just sort of reading some books that kind of led to others that led to others and then um I ended up researching Kathy O'Brien. And so that was kind of my first introduction to kind of this really highly organized evil and how it's um, used to create multiple personality disorder it was sort of my introduction to that. And I remember when I first kind of landed on that, cause I'm a real generalist, like I'm kind of interested in everything. Like even in university, like I could barely get a major cause I just wanted to like know everything about everything. And so um, when I sort of landed on um, SRA, satanic ritual abuse and cult abuse and mind control, that was to me, I just like in my spirit, I just really felt like this is the most important thing for me to understand. And mm -hmm. I kind of dedicated quite a bit of my life to reading every survivor's book that I could find and just doing anything I could to wrap my mind around how this is going on, because it's like there's different levels of reality. So um, the racial abuse is like a whole another level of reality that is not in our awareness and our conscious mind. And so there's like, um, there's kind of the, uh, the society that we see in everyday life. And then there's like a, there's like a hidden society underneath of people that are under mind control and that have different identities and like have been programmed and like, it's very much not available to, um, to see in the conscious mind. It's like, there's another level you got to get to in order to even recognize it or understand it. So I was just really interested in that when I found it. So like, who would some of these people be that would be under mind control um, at, from like your perception? Or uh, well, we're all under, we're all under mind control, um, like through like the school system and the society we live in and our parents program us and um, like, and then through technology, TV, music, all those things are mind controlling us um, and books as well. A lot of people don't think like they think books are kind of um, this untouched area that isn't under mind control, but actually a lot of um, cults have publishing companies and they specifically put out material with specific ideas in mass for people to read. So I always tell people to look at who, who published the book you're reading because it might tell you a lot about um, where it's coming from. Um, but yeah, so we're all under mind control and then there's just different levels of mind control. So like, um, then there's people that have been mind controlled um, through trauma. And so there's kind of like a, even a light level of that, like with um, police or military or sports teams could have that level of like light trauma. And then there's like severe trauma, like cult abuse. And then um, the most severe would be satanic ritual abuse. And then there's kind of like interdimensional demonic abuse as well, which would be like the end, <laughs> end of that spectrum. But so yeah, we're all on that spectrum somewhere. 
I mean, I like to dig into that spectrum a little bit too. The one thing that I always like to dig into is the whole aspect of like a lot of these elite pedophiles, whatever you want to call them, uh, have a history of abuse from their parents or from other people that's led them to have this uh, like power struggle where they want to inflict the same thing onto somebody else because they felt like they were powerless at that time. And it just continues on down this cycle. Yeah. Um, so one of the myths is that all people who are abused have were abused like that. Like that's, and that, that definitely is true and it does happen, but I like to just correct that on one level because um, most people who are abused would never abuse anybody else. So most people that are victimized through sexual abuse or um, beaten as a child will not repeat it. Um, however, there's a certain percentage that will, and the ones that will, there's kind of a correlation between the level of humiliation um, that seems to be correlated with why somebody might repeat that abuse. Um, why somebody would repeat the abuse, like I've, I've thought about this a lot and I don't have the exact answer, but I have many theories. Um, one is that it's not processed. So somebody who didn't process their abuse in whatever way they needed to process it. Um, you can't just kind of ignore abuse. Like it will repeat itself in some way until somebody processes it. So that might be intergenerationally. It might be through society. Um, so there's kind of different levels of people um, processing their abuse. So the people that are repeated are people that kind of probably deny it in themselves won't admit like that they were hurt or vulnerable or abused or a victim or you know what I mean like they kind of like they just are the type of person to maybe avoid it they'll be more the ones to reenact it um and then with like severe generational like cult or satanist abuse um like there's just like a breaking of the will where a person eventually submits to the evil and that's like an act of the will as well um to decide that but I mean there's a lot of factors that go into that but some people just believe like they can't win or there's no point in like, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. And they'll go over to, to the dark side really is one way they can kind of end up there. So I guess it's kind of going into like a serial killer type mindset or something, but in those cases, are there some people that inheritedly for whatever reason, just like enjoy abuse and don't necessarily have any type of history of abuse. They just like you grow up in a totally normal, fine family, treat them with full respect. And they like, intentionally will like seek fights things like that and they just like the idea of being abused and possibly further on in life abusing others personally i don't think so i i hear that story and i never believe it when i hear it because you'll see you know on the oprah show she'll have like jeffrey dahmer's parents on there or something and then being like oh like he was such a nice kid and there was like nothing ever happened in our family and i mean to me that's just like total totally not true like um it, what to me that would alert me to um ritual abuse that have been repressed and and specifically done like when when the abuse seems to come out of nowhere to me that says there's dissociation somewhere that they just can't link the abuse and that's probably why they're reenacting it because they're not consciously aware that they were abused as children now when you're saying like ritually abused too are you referring to like sexually ritually abused or are you referring to like them physically like harming somebody but not in like a sexual way and that leading down two different paths of like the type of abuse somebody might like later on inflict on somebody else uh, 
when it's actually ritual abuse, I, I've never seen it without a sexual element because the sexual abuse is the most damaging abuse. And like I've worked in social work for a long time and with foster kids and stuff. And like I can say hands down the most devastating abuse you can do to a human being is sexual abuse of a child. Like there's really no better way to fracture um, a psyche or like murder a child's soul than to introduce any form of sexuality even if it's not violent it's just that their their brain it's they're not meant to be in that realm of knowledge at that time and developmental stage in their life and so interfering with that is like the 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 being and the the organism it it, it skews it in a way that you're never really going to undo like you can't unboil an egg so like what you can't really undo sexual abuse like you can um overcome it and you can learn um you know techniques to cope with things or to like heal aspects of it but like you can't ever undo it you can't ever take that knowledge back or like restore somebody to a state of innocence right and it's really violating innocence and it's really a betrayal because like children are meant to be um like that their innocence is meant to be guarded and so when the guardian becomes the predator it's such an inversion of roles and such a betrayal that the 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 fracture to the psyche is like so deep to the core that um I've never seen any type of organized ritual abuse that did not contain a sexual element I would say the sexual element's the biggest part of it and then there's um physical pain and torture and psychological and emotional trauma added on top of the sexual abuse but the sexual abuse is really like I mean that's why the Catholic Church and not just the Catholic Church but many organized religions have that um, child abuse um, really in the structure of it because of the effect that it has is so profound so going into like I guess the like Christian side of it too because obviously there's a lot of issues with that in the Christian church um, it would be said different than this, like, like a satanic church, because a satanic church would be doing those rituals as like part of like the ceremony in a sense. But as far as like the Christian side goes, they kind of do it behind closed doors and don't want anybody to know about it. So that being considered, um, from your experience, like, what do you think is the reasoning why there's sexual abuse in like the Christian church? Do you think it's a matter of like a loophole that they just will try to get away with something sexually? Or do you think that there is things in Christianity where that may be part of like a ritual in a sense, but it's just not known by like the mainstream of people that are into that religion. Um, I think that one of the reasons that it's so pervasive is because of the way that there's certain things in the structure of the Christian um, church culture, which actually isn't biblically correct, but it's been just repeated through time. Like humans have interpreted it that way and acted that way. So like, the honoring the mother and the father right is like considered one of the 10 commandments so like for somebody to disclose sexual abuse would actually go against one of the 10 commandments which is like a real conflict internally for somebody to have to go against their parents um there's kind of this whole structure set up in the church of just like um you know forgive like indiscriminately like no matter what anybody does to you you turn the other cheek and you forgive and so there's like there's a couple more I can't think of them off the top of my head but like there's definitely things in the culture of the church culture that like are definitely set up as things that are not conducive to a person coming forward with sexual abuse and so again what I was saying before about the people that are more likely to repeat it are people that haven't processed it so if somebody was abused themselves in a church setting 
and they weren't able to like tell anybody or process it like that is like kind of setting them up to reenact it subconsciously um and then also in the church culture like it's a hierarchy right so um you know when you're a little child like your parent is god to you right and then when you're in church and you're learning about this like authority and this father figure and these things like you're kind of projecting that onto your own parent and so like there's just these sort of things in the culture that would really go against like which i think some people are trying to expose and change but um it kind of goes against it and then like you you said the satanic church and the christian church but really most cults are in both of them at the same time because in order to have multiple personality and to fracture somebody into a split personality you have to have so much duality that the cognitive dissonance is overwhelming to the point where some of the information will be repressed so that the person can maintain sanity so when a satanic cult has a like an, an alter personality that's like an occult dark um alter they also need to have like a pure innocent christian culture that would never do those things because that's actually what helps keep the split in the conscious mind is that extreme duality and like both of them are sincere in what they do the more sincere the better no i the other thing that i've always kind of considered too is maybe it's a matter of them just it's like an abuse of power kind of like we were talking about before we started the show where you know they have something like confession where they can get blackmail essentially on some kids' parents, for you, so to speak. And then off of that, they can get away with what they want to do because they have blackmail on those people now. And there you can't say anything against the priest because otherwise the priest will let their dirty laundry out. And it's a matter of mm-hmm. like, maybe it is a chain, like you were saying, where maybe they were abused. They were like altar boys or whatever. So they kind of like keep that going generationally. Or again, maybe it's a whole other side where it's just a matter of like, feeling that power of taking advantage of something that's weaker than you. Right. Um, and then also, um, like with the power structure, um, a lot of times abusers also seduce the parents and like, they will make them complicit in a way where in the black, so the blackmail, right. So, um, I wish I could remember the Netflix show, but it was about a guy who ended up abusing this little girl and he ended up talking letting the talking the parents into letting him marry her at like 13 because he actually um seduced the dad into having like a brief homosexual encounter that like I don't like but once that was done like he basically had the father blackmailed where he could do anything and that the father wasn't going to out himself for being complicit and like that's a very normal dynamic is for the abuser to seduce the whole family or make them complicit in some way i mean you see I, you makes you wonder too with a lot of like the older rock stars um used to do things like that because there was like jerry Lee lewis that married his like guitar players like daughter um there was just, just like there's, there's endless like 80s bands that would talk about like just underage oh, yeah. girls and things like that and it almost makes you wonder how many of them actually seduce the family like you're saying because it's like oh that's a rock star like go do what you want and then it kind of gets into that next level of what we we're kind of talking about before i started the show about that false idea of like somebody being above you that you know somebody might just hand over the keys to their kid because it's a priest and they think they're above them or they might hand over the keys to like like we're just saying like a rock star or something like that because they think that there's somebody that's above them Right. And most predators seek to secure a position for themselves where they seem legitimate and even like a good person. So like uh, Jimmy Saddle was a pretty solid one that I always like to mention when people bring that up. (laughs) Yeah. And he's a good example, too, of um, 
duality because he tried to like do good stuff to make up for his bad stuff so, like in his own mind he was like rationalizing that he was balancing things out and so like the good things that he did actually enabled him to do the bad things like in his own mind right um and so that that kind of duality there and like we see this with you know the masonic black and white like it's 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 the playing both sides right so it's like playing the dark side and playing the light side is really the way to win the game in their view right yeah trying to balance it out and just say it like at even level because like he even mentioned that in like interviews i know i've talked about it on a couple other shows but uh like before anybody knew anything was happening with him he would say oh or he'd be in like an interview and they'd say something like oh what are you going to say when you get to the pearly gates and he goes oh this is a list of all the bad things I've done. Well, I'm going to flip the page and say, well, this is a list of all the good things I've done. Does that make up for it? And he just like laughs about it and stuff. And like, yeah, just mm-hmm. weird things like that. Like exactly what you're saying. There's a prime example of it. Well, and that helps them split in their own conscience. So there's a book called the protein self by I think Robert Lifton. Um, and he talks about that with the Nazis, how they could like go and work doing this like grotesque experimentation and then like go home and play with their kids at night. Right. Or like you see this with like, maybe a mafia member like really takes good care of their grandmother and their mother. And like, you know, like it, it, they have these like really good qualities that they'll put in certain contexts to certain people. And like that kind of splitting off is really what enables them to do the evil, right? Like if they were just in the evil all the time, they wouldn't really necessarily be able to cope with it as well as if they didn't go and do good things at the same time and be able to keep it separate. So people like that, do you think that they are born with like some sort of stage of or, you know, just on the spectrum somehow of like multiple personality syndrome? Or do you think it's something that develops later on as more of like a coping mechanism for the things that they do that they have to feel like they have to like separate themselves and it progressively gets worse as they go on farther through their life that they have that clear separation? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I guess somebody could be born with sociopathic tendencies like but not like naturally like there would have been some type of trauma in the womb or like a vitamin deficiency or something happened that caused actual physical trauma to the brain um could result in somebody being born but like it's I think that's very rare like um to have primary psychopathy so secondary psychopathy is created through trauma and so um, that can be organic trauma that just happens and a person can develop coping mechanisms and like um, disconnect from their sense of self um, or it can happen intentionally which is what cults and satanists and government and military and and like sex trafficking all of them do that on purpose like it's an art and a science and they have it down to how to do it um, because that's how they can get people to do things they wouldn't normally do so from your perspective and like the research that you've done a lot of these like cults and different groups, do you think that they actually believe in the message that they're portraying? Or do you think that they're clearly doing it just for the straight uh, enjoyment of controlling other people? I guess it could be a mix think- between like cults and like, d- depending on like the religious group, I'm sure some of them heavily believe in it, but. I think it's a mix because children are programmable. So if they're raised in the cult, part of the programming and part of the trauma is actually to instill wrong beliefs so they'll do these type of psychodramas that include trauma to a child who's trying to, to figure the world out and when that trauma happens the child concludes an incorrect conclusion over why things happen and how things work and so they're doing that on purpose to program a worldview into the child so that would be because it was programmed in as they're discovering the world that would be really hard to change in adulthood um 
However, some of them are smart enough to figure out that that was just part of what happened to them as kids. And that's usually the people that can escape from the cults is the people that can start to comprehend how much they were lied to and how it was all instilled in them intentionally to get them to act a certain way. But then there's also groups of people that have um, like religious themes in order to rationalize just sadistic things that they want to do. And there's actually a bonding that takes place when people do um, really messed up things together there's a type of like intimacy like because they have kind of crossed these lines together and like they have had these shared experiences of doing really bad things which actually bonds them so like people that would you know all want to molest a child together or something like that those adults may use religion to um, you know have theatrics and just like rationalize what they want to do um, but really they just it's a it's a disgusting fetish for them um, and then they bond over doing it together that's what I was about to say it almost seems more like a fetish than anything where like even if you were theoretically yeah. just murdering somebody and not doing anything sexual I feel like there's still like a sexual tension that develops between like two people that are involved in the same act going into that yeah, it's called erotophonophilia, which is like one of my favorite words because it means bloodlust. And so it is almost like a sexual feeling. Like if you listen to serial killer interviews, like they'll definitely um, like it's almost better than sex for them. Like it's but it, it's it is they have kind like of an like, arousing way of talking too. like they just. Yeah, like even if they're getting interviewed about just some normal stuff, like most of these serial killers and things when they get interviewed, they just have like this certain like. I don't know, like sexuality, just to like the way they're talking and the way they present themselves. And I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just something that's subconscious in them because they're thinking of bloodlust and they're becoming aroused while thinking of what they're doing, maybe. But yeah. And like if you watch any vampire movies, like it's very sexualized, like when they're biting into the neck, like it's almost like they're having intercourse, right? Like it's like that's how they're always portraying that. And like that's a really accurate portrayal of how predators feel when they get to bite somebody <laughs> so i guess kind of going into some like real world trauma type connections too um like where do you think that it starts as far as like normal society in the aspect of like trauma to control people because i was listening to somebody that was talking about basically it's starting right from the beginning where for a long time they didn't think that babies felt pain but they did that as an excuse to be able to poke and prod the baby so that they're born with this automatic instinct of like fear and pain without even understanding what it is and they thought that the babies would just go to sleep because they didn't feel pain but really they're passing out because the pain was so intense because they've never felt it before like do you think that that yeah. type of thing is Which like is, intentional mm -hmm. and that is dissociation right is to like that's exactly what they're doing when they do trauma-based mind control is they want to take that person to the limit where they blank out and leave their body or um, disconnect and would go limp and then they have a new altar they can bring up to program so a light level of that is is definitely um, like circumcision or um, I mean and that's a that's a really brutal form of it is the circumcision but um, and especially going into like the sexual manipulation while that's also in the process because a lot of people forget that they have to get it slightly erect in order to be able to cut the top off <laughs> Right. So they're pairing in a classical conditioning sense, like um, arousal with pain. And then um, and then when people watch pornography, because most pornography is a circumcised penis, like it's it's subconsciously reenacting that um, trauma with arousal. And so like it's very like every 
little boy that they circumcised they're like priming him to have that addiction to that porn later on by having that trauma reactivated in an aroused state so you know it's kind of weird that i've thought about and i don't know if anybody else has ever thought about this but like not to get too in depth with it but like where that circumcision cut line was just so like being an adult sometimes you see it and it's kind of like looking at an old scar that it kind of like makes your stomach hurt like oh like that happened and I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of curious if anybody else kind of associates it that way, too, where it's like, you know, that it's been healed for however long you've been alive for. But it's like you're still scared of it, like ripping open. So it's like you're still instilled with this fear from it even way later in life. And it's clearly like subconscious because you're not thinking about it in the forefront. But like as soon as you like see the incision, then you like in the back of your mind, you start connecting that and thinking that. That's why it's so effective, though, because you can't really process it because it happened to you in a pre-verbal state when you didn't even have concepts to even express what was happening to you. So like your little inner child is like stuck in a perpetual state of when it went limp in the back of your subconscious mind for your entire life. And so every time you look at it, you're, you're activating it, but it's like not easily processed because it happened to you at a time where you didn't even have the capacity to process and so like it's very intentional that they would do it at that time of life because it sets up a person for their whole and like I said you can't unboil an egg right so like if they do that right when you're born and like not even just circumcision but like even just having a baby born into like bright lights and then spanking it and injecting it right away like as it first like that's his first experience of being born like um even that could be like quite traumatic for a tiny little being just being born and that being their first interaction with other humans like that could imprint for like their entire life just something that small is like spanking them as soon as they're born right like so but circumcision is like a whole another level and um if anybody has um wants to look more into that look into sean mccann's work on wake the dead podcast because he covers it like in depth on multiple shows like really well all the aspects of it and how it really is a type of a satanic ritual really done um over all these males being born into the society and then how does that play out later in life you know like why is there wars why is there you know, male competition. Why are there so many skyscrapers being built? Like it just gets reenacted in so many ways, like this end of a piece of them being missing, right? Like it's that, it just gets reenacted in all these different psychodramas that goes on on the earth, right? And they, they do that very intentionally. I was going to say too, they like, I wouldn't know, I guess, but they say that there's more sensation when you have the foreskin. So that being said, maybe it's a subconscious thing. Why like men are so addicted to like porn, sex, all that kind of shit is because it's like, they crave this feeling that they know is possible, but they can't achieve it themselves because they don't have the piece of them that they need in order to achieve that next level. So it's just this continuous thing of like almost like an addiction to like a drug where you're just trying to get to the mm-hmm. next best level thing and you're never going to quite catch that dragon, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy, actually. I think that would be exactly what it would be like. And um yeah it's it's uh so that's just the beginning right so you do that right when a baby's born and then it's like there's a we have a whole life of just being oppressed and going to school and having to ask permission to go to the washroom and being told when we can eat and feeling panicky when the recess bell goes when you're a little kid like you're gonna be in trouble like it's like just all this programming is traumatizing everybody um even as an adult like i hate the whole concept of like request time off like people feel like they need to request time off like it's this whole scary thing and it's like no motherfucker like i am giving you my time 
And if I say I need this time, like it's not a request, like whether or not you approve it, I'm going to be fucking gone. But most people have that fear of like, oh, no, if it doesn't get approved, I'm going to get in trouble because, again, it's instilled on them. Guarantee you going back to school where it's the raise your hand to go to the bathroom type concept. Yeah, and it's and just being scared of like, I mean, yeah, (laughs) authority figures in general, I I I guess, right? Yeah, authority figures in general, and that's programmed into us like really, really young. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, there's just a whole program. There's so many multiple overlapping programs that um, traumatize all of us. But then, you know, there's just different levels of it, too. Well, I guess the next good hopping off point, since we're kind of gearing towards it now, is uh, I want to hear your views and beliefs on people that think they're above others, like police officers, judges, uh, just like authority figures that people are scared of, but realistically, like they only have the authority because we give them the authority. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's illegitimate authority, right? And um, a really good person to look at their work is Mark Passio's work on police and military. Um, that helped me out a lot, like just really understanding how illegitimate their authority actually is, because what, what the police really are is a gang. And so, um, you know, like we, we see gangs all the time. And like, normally, normally gangs don't mess with you if you don't mess with them. Like most people don't really mind if there's like a bike gang in their town or like a gang, like they know it's there, but they also know it's a different sphere. And if you don't go in their business, they're not going to come knocking on your door. Right. Going into the two sides of things before you continue on the bikers are really ironic in that aspect. Cause it's like, there's like the one percenter bikers that are out there doing whatever the fuck they want to do. And then the other half of them, is like go home and take care of their family and shit like that. So yeah, double double end of the spectrum on that one too. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of um, bike gangs that are run by the police and this and the government, anyways. So I mean, it's yeah. There's like one percent of bike gangs too that are going around shutting down pedophile rings. So it's like, damn, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, so it's like you can't really um, judge by the label, right? Or judge by the badge, um, and. Uh, with police, it's like the only difference between like them and the criminals because they're the same side of the coin. Like they actually have very similar personalities. It's like cops and robbers. Like when they're, it's the same little kid that wants to play that game when they grow up, right? So like um, they have very similar personalities, but normally a person who's a cop is somebody that was able to um, play the game well enough to like get through school and not get a record themselves. And, but they still want to be in that lifestyle, right? Like they're still attracted to it. They still want to be in the pecking order and the whole like, um, you know, psychology of what happens like in correctional facilities or on on the job. Right. Do you think a lot of them, too? Um, this is like a theory that I've heard a lot of people say, too, is that a lot of the police officers are people that were bullies in high school that still want to feel that power later on in life. But kind of going back to what you're saying about generations, bullies start from parents beating them most of the time. And then they want to beat on somebody weaker to feel stronger. And then as an adult, what do you do when you don't have, you can't just beat up on some random person because you're going to go to jail, become a cop, and then you can do whatever the fuck you want again. (laughs) Yeah. And so like people that um, are confident and know they're tough, don't actually need that reinforced. So like when you see people that need to project themselves as these tough guys or um, that needs somebody to bow down to them. It, that really comes from a place of lack because if you really had it, you wouldn't need somebody to give it to you, right? So like um, the personality of somebody who wants to go into that profession is somebody that really craves being 
higher up one up on somebody in the pecking order, but they're attracted to the pecking order, right? So like you see this with military, police, sports teams, like any kind of like, and it's not just men, like there's, and I mean, there's more women, like the town that I live in, it's almost all women police. It's really weird actually. Um, but, and, but they, they're like masculinizing them into the police force. Um, but yeah, it's a type of personality that like even gets that psychic need filled from being in that role, right? So it, it definitely comes from a place of lack. It's like you need power, but you also need a pat on the head while you're getting the power in the process. Yeah, like most people that I know um, that join the police or military, they they all said I wanted to be a hero, right? And so they come across as these good guys that want to be a hero, but like unless somebody really has like cowardly tendencies, they don't really need to be seen as a hero. Like you could be a hero and nobody knows about it, or you could be very humble. Like you don't need to be seen as a hero. When you need to be seen as a hero, that's telling you that you have like cowardice that you're overcompensating for by needing to be seen as a hero. I mean, I feel like that's kind of where it differentiates the police from the military in the aspect of, uh, I feel like the police are definitely the ones that need that reinforcement and need to feel like a hero and need to feel like they're in front of people where people in the military, yes, they're subjected to the same type of like mind control and like mind abuse, but they're more faceless in that aspect. So like, I feel like the personalities on which path you would choose kind of differentiate. And yes, like you were mentioning before the show, there's the people that join the military because they eventually want to be a police officer so that's you know somebody that's kind of going into the military but has that police mindset but generally somebody that's just trying to run through the military i feel like uh like i said there's a lot of mind control within that but i feel like at heart those are the people that were actually trying to be the hero type in their own eyes mm -hmm. and like i was in the military for quite a while and like that's like i was i thought i was a humanitarian like i was like i cared about like um, you know, social problems and like poverty and all. like I had like I had this big heart of like, you know, like I thought like the UN was like a good thing. And like, cause I was just really young and really dumb. Right. And so I was like, oh, I should, you know, join the military because then I can like be like a peacekeeper or like, you know, like you have this whole like fall. That's where they get you. Yeah. They, they show you this whole like, look, you can be this, you can be all you can be, you know, all the slogans, throw them all in there and they catch you while oh, you're young because then, you know, you haven't yeah. figured shit out. And all of these promises actually sound like things that are realistic and actually going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And like every, I always say like every young man like needs to prove himself as a warrior. It's like a rite of passage. Right. So they get like in our society, people get to be teenagers till they're like in their twenties. And so, every, but every man has like a noble warrior inside of them that just needs an outlet. Right. So like if they can get these guys when they're like 17, 18 and promise them that, and these guys think, Oh yeah, I'm going to be like, I'm going to do something good and be a hero and a warrior. And so it's, it's really like a beautiful thing in young men, but it gets hard. It gets vampired off by these organizations that just take it and use it up for what they want and then spit these guys out the other side, right? I mean, even going on to another spectrum of that and like backing up what you're saying, um, <clears throat> even if you don't get into like the hero aspect of like, I want to join the military, I want to do this, just guys in general want to be able to feel, I don't even want to say like superior, but like there's a lot of guys that'll like fight, you know, get into like box, not just fight, fight, but like box or do like mixed martial arts. And it kind of gives mm -hmm. them that same feeling and they never end up joining the military because it's just a matter of, wanting to satisfy that inner primal warrior that I feel like every guy has, you know? And I mean, coming from myself, like I never got into the whole military aspect, but like just being a 
like ice the box and stuff just doing that in general kind of like satisfied that like mainly primal urge of like wanting to be a warrior to a certain extent too so like there's other avenues but even that gets exploited because look at some of these like fighters that are making ridiculous amounts of money like yes there's the ones that are happy but there's a lot of them where it, they've lost that touch and they're just getting exploited because they have an ability no different from like the military for example you know if somebody's like a really strong warrior they're going to be exploited of course yeah i mean i took boxing for years too and i love it i love boxing and i love like i started getting into the mma and stuff too but like that's where it kind of twists right because like real boxing takes a lot of skill and it's not about being vicious. Like it's really about being talented and like, there's like, it's like dancing and like there, there's so many aspects to it like that are like, it's respectful. Right. And then when you start getting into these like MMA stuff and like the more vicious, you know, and then they want to fight without, you know, helmets and gloves. And like, it's just like, it's about the violence and it's about brutalism and it's about just being vicious. And like, um, you know, to me that it becomes something else, you know, True. Yeah. I was going to say boxing is a lot more clean and like technique based because, you know, you can yeah. be a tough fighter by being a big guy who can take a lot of hits or you can be just as tough of a fighter being a small guy that can move fast and use that speed for power and not get hit as much. But as soon as you start getting onto like the ground stuff, anything like that, like that's when I kind of got out of all that stuff is because everybody started getting into mixed martial arts and they're like, you're going to box and then you also got to do this shit. And I'm just like, all right, well, I was getting into boxing because I like the technique behind it. I'm not into this yeah. like ground fighting shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing too, I like to go back to what you're saying about the military. So there's kind of like uh, the main hierarchy, but then there's hierarchies within the hierarchy. So um, a really good book, it's called On Killing. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's, you can get it free on the internet. And it's, I think it's only 150 pages or so. It's a really good read about, um, how they they figured out how to get people to actually shoot in the military because in some of the previous world wars like they found that a lot of people wouldn't actually fire on other people wasn't um, it like and so they, they had... try to shoot above the head or something like that so it looks yeah. like they're firing at them but they wouldn't shoot them directly right so then based on this research they figured out different ways to get people to kill and the way that they did it was to make it automated so they weren't thinking about killing like they would just do the shoot no shoot with the targets and like make everything automated so like they just automatically kill without thinking and like that's how they bypass the critical mind that would like stop them from killing so that's how the training changed do you think they also kind of made it so that they would create an enemy that people would hate too so like yeah. you know you, you have a soldier prior to the uh you know 9-11 things like that they didn't have like an issue with people that are middle eastern but after that you throw any patriotic American in the middle of the Middle East and it's like they don't know who people are and they'll happily shoot everybody because they have this anger that's subconscious behind who they're going after now. Right. So it's always othering and dehumanizing. And and so um, that's like a lot of military psychology. I mean, humans, we kind of change over history, but deep down, like humans don't really change. Like we have certain needs, psychic needs, emotional needs, psychological needs, physical needs, like um, so they've, they've really figured out the psychology. Like, I mean, they've been, they've been taking troops through basic training and turning them into what they be for a, what they need them to be for a long time. And so they've really got it down to a science, but another interesting point in that book is that he talks about how there's different types of people that join the military. So like, like, um, the people that they really want are those people that would have the same personality as the people that want to be a cop. Like they are they're not actually gay, but they almost are like so obsessed with the male hierarchy and like just machismo and like that kind of um, pecking order. And like, 
You know what I mean? Like they'd rather be with their military platoon than like at home with their wife. Like that, like they need that male, like that's their whole world and identity is that kind of like machoism. And like, th so those are the kind of people that will join the military and stay for life. Like they're, they're so bonded to their fellow soldiers. And like, there's this whole like male bonding that's like stronger than, you know, anything else outside of the military and they'll stay for their whole life. Then there's kind of like other people, like you said, who are just kind of like, you know, want to, they're young men, they want to go in the military, they think they're going to do something good. And then there's like a whole nother class of people that like, it's just a viable job. You know what I mean? Like if you come from like a small town and you got nothing going on and like, you don't, your parents aren't going to pay for your school. And like, there's no jobs at the factory in your town. Like the military is just like a really good option for a lot of people when they're, when the economy is bad, like they'll just join for a, like a job, you know? Do you think that there's also people that join because they have like psychopathic tendencies and they just want to honestly shoot somebody? Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of there's a lot of people like that in the military and the police, actually. And so they want to kill, but they want somebody to give them permission. And they want somebody to tell them they're allowed because then they think they're allowed, which they're not actually allowed karmically or according to natural law, like murders, murder, like just because somebody gives you a badge and a gun and says, oh, you're allowed and you have qualified immunity. It's like you're just being tricked into believing that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people that just want to kill and join these organizations in order to do it legitimately. I mean, you see that a lot with police when it goes into uh, I, I, I don't like getting super crazy. Like, I guess we can get into it a little bit, but um, there's two sides of the whole thing. There's like the conspiracy side and then there's like the just whole, you know, they, they just want to like abuse somebody's side. But um, without getting too like Black Lives Mattery about it and stuff, you see that with that that it's like, oh, we perceive this specific demographic as bad for society. So in turn, um, I in a way have permission to kill them. So if they go against me in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to show them the full extent of my power because one, I want to feel powerful, and two, if it pushes too far and they get killed in the process, like what we were talking about before the show, what happens to most cops and things like that happen? They get paid time off to be able to figure stuff out. Yeah. Like you wouldn't get that with any other job if you murdered somebody outright, cold, just murdered somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they investigate themselves. Like, I mean, like, it's just so ridiculous. Like that, you know, people, um, you know, I just, I really have this conversation with people a lot because people have like trauma bonding with the police and they have Stockholm syndrome and they're codependent the way that somebody would be with an abuser. And so people, um, <laughs> gotta like understand that police are not there to help you like police are actually not allowed to help you they're not allowed to prevent a crime like you could call the police and be like that i think this person's gonna hurt me and like they're actually not allowed to do anything until a crime's been committed so like people thinking that cops are there to protect them is like just something people make up in their own mind it's not true and like police actually are there to hurt you like they're there to take your property they can taser you they can lock you up they can kill you they can do a whole number of things to you that they are allowed to do to you legally not morally but legally um and so people like it just blows my mind how people actually think that cops are there to protect them like i just don't know how they can like i think they just want to believe that to make themselves feel safe but it's really like something that needs to be overcome that they're not actually on your side i mean like we were talking about before the show too just the whole aspect of the undercover police cars and the like look at police cars in america versus other countries how they're obvious bright super colorful in the united states they're all hidden as hell 
Um, now they're not even putting like X's on plates, at least in my state. So it's like, how is that person supposed to be here to serve and protect you if you can't even find them if you need them? Like you it's could like be the lying in wait for to be able to assault or do something uh, that they just need the go ahead for. But they're like, like even when they they put those ghost cars for people to rob, it's like, what is that? Like why? That's would entrapment. Even... Yeah, like lying in wait and entrapment, and then like or like even if you see a cop hiding behind a telephone pole waiting for people speeding, like it's just. <sighs> That's stri collecting straight that's revenue protecting. at that point because, yeah. you know, f going five miles per hour over the speed limit isn't worth $200 in any aspect, you know, like at most that ticket maybe should be like 50 bucks at most. Yeah. And I know like some people, you know, like I said, like I've worked in social work for a long time and I, and people are often surprised that I feel the way that I do about police officers. And I feel like I'm entitled to my opinion and nobody has to agree with me, but I, like I said, I was in the military for a long time. I met a lot of people that were there because they wanted to be police. I have a lot of crossover with police in my job. Like me and police officers deal with a lot of the same clients, like police officers might arrest somebody and then bring them into an organization that I work at, or I may be working with with somebody's parole officer like so I'm very like interconnected with them I know a lot of them um, and I actually used to work with them um, in a, in a volunteer capacity where I would work with the victims of crime because um, police wanted to just be the heroes and go out and go out on these calls but then they didn't want to sit afterwards with that little grandma that got robbed or like you know the kids that got beat up they don't they don't want to sit there and do that social work they just want to you know come in and be the heroes and then leave right and so like they would have these volunteers that would come in victim services and they would sit with the victims and like help them with resources, information and counseling and like make sure they're okay. And then we would go back and do the paperwork and then we would go with them to court and we would help them if they were a victim of crime filling out the paperwork because police didn't want to do that. Like they actually had volunteers from the community come and do that part of their job for them. So I feel like I'm entitled to my opinion of how I feel about police because I've seen them behind the scenes. I've gone out and calls with them. I've worked with them. Like I said, a lot of um, organizations that I've worked at, there's people that want to be police that come and work in a social service organization for a number of years because it looks good on their resume to become a police officer. So like, I feel like I've been exposed to the personality um, type a lot more than the average person. Um, and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, there's these good cops working on abuse cases or, um, you know, crime investigation or, you know, and I think yeah, there are some police officers that actually do want to help crime and like do actually care about victims. And like there is that type of personality type that will go into policing. However, like the police forces are so corrupted at this point that like for anybody to go in and work for that organization and think that they're going to like make a difference from the inside out is like you're pretty deluded if you think you could still do that at this point in history, like with how militarized the police have become and how we know that. Um, like pretty much every cult has the police in the bag. Like it's the Freemason order of the police. Like, like if you think that you're going to uncover some type of crime and that you're going to work for the police department, even if you're a good detective that's really cares and you go and you do all this research and you pass it up to the chief of police, who's a member of a cult who's been bought and paid for, like you're basically just working for Satan and pretending that you're not like you're like, you're actually helping them cover stuff up by putting your resources, by trying to work through them and go under their umbrella of legitimacy. So like, I feel, you know, I could have some compassion for somebody in that position that is like sincerely trying to be a good detective or like prevent crime. But I mean, that's not the reality and that's not the majority of people that go into police.
I mean, at that point, I feel like those people are just trying to create gravel with a boulder using their fists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like, and how much innocence can they claim at this point when there's so much evidence of how corrupted police are? Like, I mean, and you don't even need to be a conspiracy theorist. You can just look out and see how like, why do police have a black tank in these tiny little towns and they're wearing like tactical gear, like, you know, in like a town of 3000 people. Like, it's like, obviously the police are not, like they're obviously there to enforce rules on you you know what i mean like they're not there to protect like what are they protecting you from yeah protecting you from going five over like (laughs) the only time you actually need them they're nowhere to be found and like you said they're not if somebody says they're going to kill you like i've had a personal friend that said that they were having like death threats from somebody and they were horrified and they went to the police this was back when i was like a teenager and they pretty much said have they done anything yet have they shown up to your house then we can't do anything about it. And they're like, but I have physical messages on here telling me this is your address. I'm going to come for you, shit like that. And it's like, yeah. you can't do anything about it. It's like, what? Well, that, that's the exact time you would need them. And they couldn't even have somebody like sit outside the house, anything like that. They're like, sorry, like we can't do anything unless something actually happens. And once it actually happens, it's too late. So. Right. And like something I mentioned before the show too is um, like, police have higher rates of drug addiction, alcoholism, domestic violence. Like they just have kind of private cop rehab centers that they send people to when they're suspended and they're investigating themselves. They send them to their private cop rehab centers. And like, so it's very hidden, like this kind of culture of dysfunction and actually lawbreaking within the police um, is really well hidden. Um, And another thing that, you know, working as a counselor, like I can't, even tell you how many people have been victimized by police and they have no outlet to go and like they're not going to go and try and report the cop or like you know it's it's just like such a dead end for them that all they want to do is tell their counselor about this horrible experience they had where they were like sexually assaulted or physically assaulted or abused or had false paperwork filled out on them or like you know I've just heard so many stories that people have no motivation to tell me other than that I'm their counselor and they're traumatized and they want to just share this traumatic experience they have like they don't think I'm going to do anything for them they have no hidden agenda to be telling me these stories for any other reason than to get it off their chest and like I've just heard so many stories of police abuse that like I just can't I can't like say oh there's some good cops like I just can't say that anymore with the experiences that I've had um, with people like I've just heard so much abuse it's just not even like I don't know how anybody could be a member of that organization I think they're a good person at this point in history um, like what's some of the worst things you've heard as far as like police abuse goes I guess without disclosing anybody's names or information like what's what's some of like the worst horror stories you've heard personally I've had teenage girls tell me like in the in the big city that they've had to give blowjobs to police officers in the back of the car like just sexual assault stuff like that like it's really horrible like it's really bad stuff. Did they say what it was like over any or anything? Like, was it something small? Like uh, they got busted, like shoplifting and they were forced to do these things or were they already like involved in like a bigger crime that they felt that no, they needed this, to go to that this, extent? No, this is like small, petty little things like come in the car. Like you don't want to, you don't want to get a record. You don't want to get in trouble or going, you know, going and doing a drug bust at a house or something. And then just taking the girls out there, you know, like it's, it's, um, There's a lot of stories and there's a lot of stories in the news too. Like um, 
the town that I live in, like the the head of the head police officer of the sex crimes unit was charged with sexual assault. Like, you know what I mean? And another police officer had his own son chained up in his basement and was torturing him. Like, I mean, there's just all these stories that come out all the time. You know, it's like it's kind of messed up, too, that they see these things. So I feel like they in turn think that they can get away with these things because they know what not to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's people just like the police is a gang. So if you're joining it, you're joining a gang. And like, um, you know, I don't even really have a problem with people being in a gang if they're going to admit they're in a gang and like if they're going to own it. But like, it's just this whole perception of like, oh, we're here to help you and protect you. It's really, you know, and I know some people are going to watch this and be shocked that I'm saying it. But like, I really feel strongly about it. Like, I've just had way too much experience where I just can't be in denial of it anymore and people are welcome to disagree with me but like I just really think that there's some major codependence going on with believing that police are there to protect you and they're just they're not so do, um do you have any personal experiences with the police that uh would just kind of like reiterate this point just from like a not so far level I guess is like abuse but just on a more like local level that people may realize these things within their own interactions with the police and start kind of seeing the other side of the coin. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I told a story about myself on another podcast and it's not anything that exciting. Um, I got pulled over with a, with a friend by a police officer and I actually just started calling the police officer out. Like I like, and not even in a rude way, but I was just asking him, well, basically what I was asking him is if he was requesting things from us or ordering us to do them. Like, I wanted to know, like, are you giving me an order or is this a request? Like, do I have the ability to say no to this or not? Right. And the police really didn't like that. And so um, they were like very, very like aggressive, rude, like just all kinds of stuff happened that night. And the police ended up lying on the paperwork, like which for me, I need a crim check for my job. So like just because that police officer's ego was hurt he forged misinformation on paperwork and put a false charge on me, like an indictable offense, which is completely like he knew it would get thrown out. He put, he, um, he, I, I knocked on a cop car window to ask him for his badge and ID number. And he said that I like pounded on the window and like was trying to assault him. And like, uh, I think he charged me with like obstruction of justice, which is like an indictable, like it's a serious charge. Right. Um, that's the other messed and up so, thing about it, though, is that they can beat the living shit out of you if they want to. But if you even so much as like tap their window or rough their collar, then you hit them, you abuse them. And like you're getting yourself yeah. in way more trouble for literally even touching them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That So like, yeah, that was the mistake I made. I did, I did touch the car. <laughs> but I didn't like I didn't know. Right. Like, I don't know. I just like I didn't even think that was a problem. Right. Like, but anyways, um, in anyways, a nice way, <laughs> imagine how much worse it would have been if you're a different race tapping on the window. They probably would have had you on the yeah. ground in handcuffs and took you in that night. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely have had like just that really, that experience really, um, traumatized me just because of the lying and the bullying and just like knowing, like, charging me with something that they knew would not even stick but just making they just wanted to make me go through the, the process and I did I got it out. I actually I had a, a shining reference letter from the chief of police for my volunteer work and service to the community that they actually read in court which the cop was kind of like oh that was like they just didn't think right like maybe this girl actually is 
like has volunteered for us, you know, like they just want um, to show so their power to you. That's what it was. Like they're like, yeah, all right, you want to give me a hard time. I'm going to do everything in my power yeah. to give you a hard time because I have that power. Yeah, that's all that happened, right? Is that I was lippy and they were like, oh, we're going to teach you a lesson and we're going to like, we're going to show you that we can just use raw power against you, even if it's illegitimate and we can cause problems for you. Even if we know that you can get out of them, we're still going to just make a little maze that you have to get out of because it's like funny for us. Right. And so that was really traumatizing for me personally, just to have to experience like that, just abuse of power, because I, I didn't really, um, think they would do something like that over something so little you know like because like I need a criminal background check for my job so like they could have prevented somebody from like helping multiple people by having a record over touching a car like that's really bad (laughs) I mean even like my personal experience my very first ticket I ever got um, I used to work at a place called GFS and we used to have to wear like nice dress looking clothes it was it's a grocery store but like they wanted you to look proper and all that kind of shit. I didn't even have my piercings in at the time um, because back then I had like different facial piercings. So I just looked like a totally normal dude wearing dress clothes. It's like 1130. I get off work. I go to Del Taco. I pull out a Del Taco. Next thing I know, I get flicked. And this cop starts tearing my shit apart, telling me he needs to go through the car, all this kind of shit. And me being a 16 year old, I'm just kind of like, all right, yeah, whatever you got to do, just let me go, whatever. Uh, thinking I had weed, excuse me, being stoned. I wasn't stoned at all. Like I wasn't even, I didn't even have anything in the car, obviously tears my whole fucking car apart. doesn't find anything, gets pissed off. He doesn't find anything says, I'm going to write you a ticket for going through that red light. And I go, what red light? And he says, exactly. And then that was what I remember the end of it being. And he wrote me a ticket saying I went through a red light. And then like you were saying, happened to do the runaround. I didn't have anything crazy to go with it, but I had to do a driver's reeducation course, which you have to pay for, of course, too. It's like, I don't even remember like 150 bucks or whatever. And you go there and it's not even a driver's re-education course. It's literally just multiple insurance companies coming in and talking about why you should have their insurance, almost like an ad. So then again, you see this hierarchy happening that it's like they're just creating revenue again, because like if they cared about the road and like your safety and all that kind of shit, why are they just having insurance companies talk about why I should have their insurance? And I'm a 16-year-old kid. Like I'm not paying for my own fucking insurance at the time. <laughs> Yeah. And like I was saying, like a lot of times, like I've just seen so much police bullying too. Like when I worked with the homeless and stuff, like they'd just be like really rough with them and like bring them in. Like, like I used to work at a, um, a shelter and um, they would like bring in these guys, like all roughing them up and stuff. And I'm like, seriously, half the homeless people are like the most harmless old men. Ever. Like they're, they're so harmless. Like, you know what and I the mean? The fucked like, up not- part about that is that <laughs> half of them are vets or some of them have mental yeah. illness. So they're like disrespecting old veterans that again, didn't get any help. And they came back. The government was like, fuck you have at it. <laughs> and then yeah, again, and they, the same people they respect, they're saying, fuck you too. <laughs> yeah. And most of those people won't hurt anybody else. They just hurt themselves. Like they're more of a danger to themselves and they harm themselves. That Like that's why they're like living on a street with nothing. Cause they're not going and like robbing banks. And get, like, they're not, you know what I mean? They're just like, they're they're hurting themselves right they're at a really low point like they don't need to be kicked in the head while they're down like right um they're not aggressive most most of them i won't say all but like 90 percent are like the most harmless people ever there's no need to be aggressive with them at all i mean the aggressive ones are probably the ones that have mental illness but then again it goes back to mental illness it's like the way that you treat somebody with mental illness isn't with more violence you calm them down talk to them get them in a calm state. And then you go from there. Like the more you're just making the situation worse by hitting him and beating on him just because they're freaked out and like, Oh God. And like coming after you because they don't know what the fuck's going on because 
you know, who knows what's going on in their head, you know, at that time. And that's also a difference you see with American police versus like police in other countries, mainly talking about Europe. I don't want to say all countries, but you see a lot of these videos of like European police with people with mental illness and they'll talk to them and figure it out and get them in the car and take them off where American police, the first thing they do is they're pulling their gun on them, you know, or putting their taser on them and saying like, you need to get the fuck on the ground then we'll talk. Oh yeah. And that's going to trigger somebody that wasn't even like, as soon as they get that flight or fight, they're going to go unconscious and they are going to do something crazy just because they're scared. Like they're going to go automated. Right. And so like, it's, yeah, it's really dangerous for police to come in with their like verbal judo and be all aggressive right away. Like it's pretty much the worst thing you could do in any situation is do that. They do that with normal people too. The first thing they do when they yeah. come to your window, if they knock on your door, like even if something yeah. happened down the street and they're asking you what happened, they still come at you with that. Like, where were you at? How were you? Where were you? Yeah. Who, who are you like did you see anything i'm sure you did like bro I'm, I'm not even involved like treat me some fucking respect technically i'm paying your check <laughs> yeah and like uh, people i just recommend people really educate yourself like you don't have to answer police officers questions like you depending where you live you probably just have to show your idea of who you are and if you're in a vehicle you may have to like show them the insurance stuff for the vehicle there's certain laws but like police are going to ask you 10 questions and only two of them you have to answer the other eight you don't have to answer but like because you have a flight or fight and your reptilian brain recognizes hierarchy you automatically start answering whatever they want and like they know that and so are they taught um, that in training is like a subconscious yes. thing that they ask 10 questions at once just so that you, yeah. they, you get flooded and you'll answer all of them even if you don't need to like they're taught that i'm assuming right Right. Just because they're asking doesn't mean you have to answer. And it's probably in your best interest not to answer. Like you should answer very bare minimum um, information at all times. Prime example is when they pull you over and they say, like, do you know what you're doing? Like theoretically, if they got you for, you know, going through like a stop sign and you say, well, I think I was going five over right there. You just admitted to it. Now they can write you two tickets off of what they saw and what you just admitted to doing. Yeah. And they'll ask you all kinds of stuff. Like, where are you going? Where have you been? Like, who are you, what are you, you're getting off work? Like, they'll just ask you, you don't have to answer any of that, those things at all. Like you really don't. Yeah. Don't people, are, it's Stockholm syndrome. Like you were saying, like people are just scared and they feel like they need to answer it. And the cops are thinking that they're being respected, but for it's not really respect. It's out of fear because people don't know how to react and everybody can admit to it. Like no matter how blue you are, no matter how much you love the cops, when you get flicked and they're at your window, you're not feeling respect for them. You're feeling fear. Right. And so it's a false kind of respect, right? Because would you really respect that person if there wasn't a threat of actual physical violence being used against you? Like it's, and so a lot of people that want to be police officers are um, narcissists, right? So a narcissist is somebody that actually has really low self-esteem and creates a false self, like a hero would be a good archetype of a false self that a narcissist would want to be seen as. And then they need that constantly reinforced from an external source because it's, it's illegitimate. It's like a false front on a Western building right and so like police need to come up to your car and for you to act scared like because they get a little dopamine hit off that and it reinforces their like hero self that they are projecting with their uniform and this kind of false self that they've made for themselves right and so they're getting a psychic need met by that happening and so um it's it's not real respect so another one that i like to connect to is like judges have you done any like research as far as like personality types for people that would want to become judges? Because I don't know if judge, like what the chain of command is for somebody to become a judge. I don't know if they need to be a cop first or if it's just like a whole different field that you got to play ball in. But that's another one where it's like that false idea of respect, but it's not anybody that 
has anything that necessarily needs to be respected or looked up to. Right. And it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to like a, a, a just judge. It shouldn't matter if they like you or not. Right. Like, and so having to go in and sort of, you know, dance for the King or whatever, just kind of like ask for mercy. Like that's just, again, they're getting that psychic need met to feel like a God. Right. And I can just, from my research on abuse, like the higher up in status and power somebody is like, there's a huge correlation with pedophilia and child abuse. And like, it's, it's almost like perfectly connected the power, like people who seek power and control because people think that child abuse is about sex but it's not it's about power and control but just in a sexualized form it's been fetishized but it's really about power and control and so when you see people that need power and control positions it's it's like they are very often involved in like pedophile rings and like child abuse and like oppression of others and it's all very very connected i mean even going into like if people don't like hearing that kind of shit and they just want like a more like real world connection to it Uh, Think about how many judges, because of there being a private prison system in the United States, uh, Mm -hmm. they'll falsely push people into jail because they're getting paid to do it by somebody else. And those people are making money off of everybody that's in their prison. So that's, again, another abuse of power, Um, not even coming from like a like a sexual urge, but just like a power of money because of being in that position. Right. Um, I can't remember that documentary, but there was the two judges in the States that were um, sending juveniles to court and the one kid committed suicide or whatever, because he was like a good kid. I think he had a joint or something and he ended up getting like this really hefty sentence. I'll find you the link later for sure. I just can't remember the name of it right now. Um, And yeah, anyways, the judges did end up getting held, being held accountable because somehow they traced it back that they were just filling the prisons. They were getting a kickback. And so they were like giving these young people like really heavy sentences for like really minor things um, because they were filling these private prisons. I think it was called something for paycheck for something. I can't remember. Anyways, I'll find it for you. But it's a really good documentary, a really good example of that. I say talk about like subconscious power too. Um, just think about like the way a courtroom set up and the fact that they have them oh. sit higher than you. Uh, they're all wearing the gowns and everything like that to try to look like there's something like above you. I mean, even same with like police officers, they have the uniform, they yeah. have the badge. It's like this subliminal messaging that people may not even necessarily realize. I mean, people probably realize it with the cops and the fact that they're in uniform, but just the way the courtroom set up that they sit higher than you automatically, you're looking up to them. So it's subconsciously mm-hmm. tricking you to assume that there's somebody above you. I mean, same with like going to a concert and things like that. You're subconsciously mm-hmm. being tricked to think those people are above you because they're sitting at a literal higher level than you. Yeah. And they even use like, I don't, I don't want to go into all the like language stuff because people can go down that rabbit hole on their own. But like when they say like, do you understand? Like, it means are you standing under me? Like, and that's represented in the courtroom by them being above and you're standing under them. Like, do you understand me? Right. Like it's all. And you've been summoned to that's like another one. That's like a power connection too. like, you've been summoned to court. It makes it sound like it's some type of like, (laughs) I don't know, just like, it sounds very like ritualistic almost, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, and like, I just really recommend people look into Mark Passio's work on order followers, because it's so key to um, why the world is the way it is, because we have, you know, there's, there's kind of like this small group of really 
evil people trying to orchestrate things but like at the end of the day they're just a bunch of really old dirty pedophile men that really we could just take them out with like a couple uh you know left right jab <laughs> uppercuts right like they're not these like powerful guys but the only reason they have power is because of order followers and like order followers always not always but most of the time order followers think they're doing something good and so when somebody thinks they're doing something good by being a police officer or thinks they're doing something good by being a correctional officer like that's when these people go and cause enormous harm illegitimately that they don't have the right to do to people like you don't have the right to keep somebody in a cage like over growing a plant or speeding on a highway or like you know you actually don't have the right to do that so if you're willing to use violence against a person like for a paycheck to do that like you're actually the immoral person but that person thinks they're a hero when they're doing it and those are the most dangerous people say it reminds me of like uh it's just very cult-like. It's almost like secret societies, the way that works, that there's like the people at the tip top that have all the knowledge that know what's going on and know that everything that they're doing is a sham. And then all the people underneath them creating that like pyramid effect, uh, they get rewarded like, oh, you're going to get the next level of knowledge. You're going to get more privilege. You're going to get more this as you level up. And they keep stepping on people to keep leveling up. And they never realize that they're never actually going to hit that top where they actually know everything that's going on. Um, but they're going to keep acting on what the people at the high ups are saying, thinking that they're going to get to that level. And again, it'll just continue on. It's very cult-like in my opinion. Yeah, because they only know half the story and they're acting on it, you know? It's a cult and it's a gang. It's a violent cult based on violence and hierarchy. Like at that, it's, <laughs> how's that any different than like the worst gang? You know what I mean? Except at least the worst gang's not pretending they're heroes. They're like, no, we're bad. Like we're, they're cowboys, right? They're not pretending to be the good guys. I want to say, and if you say anything bad about a gang, you're not getting flack for it. But if you say anything bad about the police, anything like that, then, you know, most virtue signaling type people are going to jump right down your fucking throat about it, you know, without even understanding the situation, just because they've been indoctored into believing that these are the good guys and they'll fight that tooth and nail. Even if they add up the information doesn't make sense, they're still going to make it make sense in their head because that's what they've been told to do. Yeah, it, and it gives people a false sense of like security, like, oh, there's these guys with guns that I can call that are going to come save me if something bad happens. And it's like, no, they're going to come after something bad already happened to you and make you fill out a bunch of paperwork and go to court. That's going to be even more of a hassle for you than if you just dealt with your problem yourself. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, going into the whole gun thing, people are anti-gun because they think the police is going to save them. But here's the thing. Somebody breaks into your door. And you call the cops, how long do you think it's going to take before they get there? The situation's already going to be over by then. Like, the only thing that you're going to be able to protect yourself with is if you physically have a method to protect yourself with. Like, you can't rely yeah. on others to show up. There's not going to be a cop waiting around the corner to show up the second somebody barges in your front door, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for no guns if there really was no guns. But there's people don't understand that no guns only means no guns for you. Not no for guns the for the people that are... get rid of your gun. They're yeah. not getting rid of their guns. So like there is no no guns. It's no guns for you. So I'll say it's the people that are trying to obtain them legally to protect themselves because anybody that's committing all these crazy crimes isn't going and getting a gun completely put in their name. Those people are getting guns off the streets illegally anyway. So the pe gun problems that they're trying to solve 
are the people that are getting their guns illegally. And again, they're only hurting the people that are trying to get guns through the correct means in order to protect themselves from the people that are getting the guns illegally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The whole argument doesn't stand up. Um, couple, couple other interesting things about police is so the red and the blue lights are actually meant to activate your left and your right brain at the same time and throw you off balance. And that's why they sh shine those lights when they're driving up because it automatically puts you in a disoriented state so that they can come in and establish dominance over you. It's funny you say that because I always say when I'm driving past a cop, like how fucking distracting their lights are and how they fuck with your eyes. So it's like unsafe that they still have the fucking lights on when they have a car on the side of the road because it's like you're driving past them and it's nighttime and it's like you'll fucking side swipe them because they're fucking with your eyes, you know? Well, yeah, it's meant to actually disorientate your left and right brain at the same time. Also, um, like from what I've studied of torture and MK Ultra and stuff, like the the use of electricity and stun guns and tasers and stuff like that. So like the real reason that police have tasers and stun guns is because it interferes with your short-term memory. So like if something goes down and a cop tasers you, you're going to not store what just happened into your memory correctly. So like good luck writing a statement when you've been tasered. Like that's the real reason that they taser is because that electrical bolt through the brain will interfere with your memory storage of the event. So you can't really comprehend and articulate what actually really just happened. Sounds like men in black in real life. You know, that little like phaser they <laughs> yeah. have. It's like the real yeah. life phaser is the, is the taser. <laughs> yeah. Like that's really why they have the tasers. Um, and also um, I took hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming training like intense training and um, the police are always taking that as well because they like to have those hypnotic techniques for interviewing, um, getting, getting confessions. Like they know how to activate certain areas of your brain through neuro-linguistic programming, um, causing a resonance with you, building rapport with you. Like they, they're very, very skilled in all of these techniques. Like they're, it's, it's, these techniques are not to help you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do you, do you know some more of these techniques? I'm really interested, actually, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners would love to hear some more of these because if you hear the technique and you know what's going on, then you kind of know how to counteract and avoid it in a sense. Well, actually, you can even just if you look on the Internet, there's lots of police confessions. Like if you look at people that have been charged, like a lot of times they'll have the, the police interview confession tapes. There's tons of them online. I would really recommend people take a look at those and like actually act like look at how the cops are actually acting. So like they're always acting like they're there to help. They're always acting like they care about you and they want to help you. Um, they always act like they're going to do you a favor if you confess to what happened. Like they're like, if you tell us now, we're going to like get you leniency and like just kind of like that false promise of stuff they actually don't even have the power to always do. Um, they're trying Some to people build will with you. admit to crimes too that they haven't done, thinking that they're going to get off easier because they think they're going to get in trouble for it regardless. Yeah. And they'll, yeah, admit to something thinking they'll get a lesser sentence, but then you're going to get the full sentence because now you just admitted to it in your words. And I'm sure they can mentally fuck with you enough to the point where you honestly believe that you did the crime that you just said with detail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A really good example of that is if you look at um, on Netflix, there's a documentary with Henry Lee Lucas, which who was a serial killer. Um but when the police were um, trying to get confessions from him, he just kept confessing to everything. 
And because the police wanted to be seen as heroes and be seen as competent, they weren't really double checking what he was confessing to. And they were just like, yeah, solve that murder, solve that murder, solve that murder. And then eventually he confessed to so many things that they're like, no, like this, he's just confessing to everything, right? Like he's playing the police. And um, that's a really good example of how they can do that. But they can also use hypnotic techniques, like just wearing somebody down with sleep deprivation, repetition, asking you to repeat the same story over and over and over and over again, like until you can't even like say it straight anymore. There's all kinds of techniques that they're highly trained in. Well, they do that and then try to call you out on different things that change in the story. But it's one of those things that like your brain continuously starts telling the same story and you almost start losing track of the details because of telling it. And then they just take advantage of that and try to get you into it because your story may have changed just very, very slightly because of being asked 30 times. Yeah. And if you look at like a lot of the um, like cases that seemed like they were solved when they weren't, it's because the cops wanted to be seen as heroes and also the cops wouldn't share information with other police so like there's a lot of police incompetency because they all want to be seen as the heroes so they're not going to give the other guy all the leads to the case because they want to solve it themselves so they're not even really working together to solve things they're operating from their ego from a narcissistic way like wanting to be the one who solves the case and have an ego so like it's it's like they're very much have the same personality as the criminals right like it's it's really like two sides of the coin like even just like law of attraction stuff like just because you're getting paid to be a guard at a jail, like you're still there every day, like by law of attraction, like you're still like, you're like with them. Like you think you're different because you're the one on one side of the bars, but like you're, you're not like you're, you're right there in that space with them. It's kind of like what we were talking about before the show too, with that whole like businessman thing that we look up to people that can be cutthroat and will step on others in order to get ahead. And uh, like, again, it's not a good thing. I don't get why people have that mentality. It's like you see it with police, you see it with everything, almost every job. It's the people that are willing to shit on other people, keep all the information from themselves and not get anything done for everybody else because they want to take the glory for it. And then they want to get the promotion for it and the reward for it rather than actually solving the crime, which should be the ultimate reward of why you want to become a cop in the first place, regardless of who gets the fucking credit for it. Yeah. And if people really think that the police are like an unbiased organization, like a lot of people that are officers, I mean, they're related to people in other societies or like it's there's so much corruption and crossover and like um, there's just no way that it's like an independent organization. And that's why I say even if somebody was a good person and like really wanted to make a difference by being a police officer, like you're you're really just helping them and you're not really like, you know, like some people that I've become aware of that have like really helped survivors of SRA or cults and stuff like people like John Wedger and stuff like they quit being police officers. Like when they realized that, you know, all the work that they were doing was just being passed up to the people that were involved in these crimes anyways, like that they're all connected to the mob or these cults or, you know, like even the pedophile rings, like how many pedophile rings get busted and then you never hear anything about it. There's one in Detroit um, because I'm from Michigan. There was like 180 something kids in a house I saw one news article on it and then it all fucking disappeared. And these dudes were like legit. Like they had fucking like key card locking doors and it was in a burned out house. So nobody would have known it existed from the outside. But I guarantee you there's cops linked with that shit. (laughs) It can't operate without cops. It cannot operate without cops. Especially 182 kids. Imagine how many people are looking the other way on that one. It needs the police to operate. They need to have police to operate. And like, if you look in Canada, if you research the Picton farm, like, 
the bike gangs were involved. The police were involved. Um, there was one, like there was over 60 women that went missing before they finally solved it. Cause they probably were like, okay, like we got to look like we're, we can't look this, like we're so dumb that we can't find it after 60 women went missing. Like how incompetent, like, would you have to be for like 60 murders to take place and like not even be able to solve it? You know, like that's like you take an inch, you take a mile. Like, they're like, all right, I'm just going to do it once. And then now they're 60 in and they're like, fuck, now we got to play it off. <laughs> so one of, one of too far. Like, I don't know if you know anything about the Picton farm. You can look into it. He's a serial killer. Um, but anyways, one of the police officers that was working on the case, they found him on an S&M site wearing his police uniform, reenacting the murders with women for sexy pictures on an S&M like fetish site and he was a cop on the case so, so if was he involved in it or was it like a matter of the guy doing it was like recording these things and he was reenacting him off of videos he saw who knows so i didn't I mean to interrupt you i just got really into that no i don't know it could like uh, who knows right it could be either one of those like that's he could have been just reenacting it or he could have been in on but he definitely probably wasn't doing a good job as a cop on that case i think that would be fair to say do you think it might be also one of those things too where it's like uh i guess a good way to describe it is almost like a method actor where like i guess a good way to describe it is uh have you ever seen um boondock saints you know that yeah, yeah, yeah. detective that like gets into his music and like gets a flow into it and like figures out the crime because he like engulfs himself in it do you think that there's like like that police officer for example could have theoretically been like one of those people but he like method acted into it in an extent and like started getting like arousal from it almost. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Like, who knows? And like, if you, if you really like people can look at the Picton farm themselves, but like th they would have parties there and like the mayor would go there and they were like taping movies there. And like, it's, there's, it's so interconnected with so many things like, and the police are totally involved with it. Like, it's just so obvious if you really research it. Like, it, it's like it, it's like Gotham City and they're involved. Like, it's kind of so fucked obvious. up how all these houses that have all these terrible ties to it always have links to uh, high power people in that area or internationally, depending on how big the operation is, always going to these places. Like, sounds like the whole Epstein type thing that all these political people are hanging out there. You know, it's the place to go. And then there's all this stuff going on behind closed doors. It makes you wonder if. There's two sides of it. Either one, all of those people could be involved in it, or two, half those people are involved and the other half have know nothing of it and they go to these places because of the other people and they just kind of play it off of like, who's involved? Is it who? Is it them? Like, you don't know now, so now everybody looks like they're involved, you know? <laughs> so it's like diluting out who could actually be involved by just having their high-power friends come to these areas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know how anybody could honestly think that they're going to join the police force at this point. And like the people that say are a good person and want to follow the rules and really want to help, like they're going to get so used, right? Like they're going to be the person that's going to go work there and do everything by the books and get all the information. And they're just going to hand it right up to the corrupt people that are going to be like, Oh, thanks. Thanks for showing us what they have on us. And like, you know what I mean? Like they're getting all that information from the people who think they're doing good working in that organization. It's kind of a counter mix too, because then going off of that logic, it's like you almost have to break the rules to be a good cop. 
So then it just falls into a gray area where that whole area isn't like black or white. It's like you're either a bad cop and you follow the rules to get away with the things you want to get away with, (laughs) or you can be a good cop and break the rules to actually make things happen that need to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're hiding information from like the chief of police that you can actually go help a victim of crime. Like you'd have to actually fudge the books, like to actually be a good person in that job, you know? It's, I mean, there's inspiration to all of these like police dramas. It comes from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it does come from somewhere. And like, I, I, I don't hate police officers. Like, I, I, I really think they're just really unconscious. And I think they actually do think that they're doing something good, but they're not. And so, like, I don't say stuff like this just to be a jerk or cut down police officers. Like, I, I really feel like it's important for people to, number one, overcome their Stockholm syndrome and their codependence with police, but also for police to realize what they're doing and to realize that, like, they're actually just contributing to a power structure that's actually used to oppress people illegitimately and that they actually don't have the rights that they think they have just because somebody trained them and gave them a badge and gave them a gun and said, you're allowed to do these things. Like I know, like I know somebody who took police training and they had them all lay on mats in a gym and like hypnotize them all and told them to visualize themselves as a wolf keeping the sheep in the yard and like doing all this weird mind control. Like on the police. Yeah, like I was like, that is like mind control, like full on. Like, you know what I mean? And so like if you look at actual police training and like I I actually have police textbooks and stuff like I've really looked into like what are they training them what are they teaching them what is like the philosophies of policing and like the use of force and like how do they really take like somebody who wants to be a hero and put them through this indoctrination process where these people come out and actually cause harm to people and think they're helping them I mean I guess I was thinking of this while you were saying that but I guess the easiest way to sum it up to not sound like we're just totally bashing on cops is if you respect me, I'll respect you. And that goes for good. Anybody that considers themselves a good cop, whatever, like there's a level of respect. Like it doesn't matter like what kind of training you have, what kind of subliminal shit, you know, um, like what you may be involved in. But like my interaction with you directly is if you respect me, I'll respect you. And I mean, that should be mutually something that happens with all police officers. And I haven't personally found one that I've interacted with yet that has given me the same level of respect that I feel I deserve just having an interaction with them. But that in general being said, if you are a police officer, show people respect and they'll respect you the same way. And like something I just want to mention um, about uniforms and joining an organization. So people join organizations for power, right? Because as an individual, you're not going to have as much power as if you join a group. And when you join a group, especially a group that has uniformity and a uniform to personify that uniformity, you are becoming that kind of hive mind, right? So there's like the, there is a personality of a police officer. So even if you had your own personality before you went in for training, Once you put on your uniform and you stand at attention in a row, same with the military, when you stand there and you become a copy and a a prototype of that hive mind, like you are no longer an individual. You have given over your individual will and traded it for the power of the group. And that goes with any group, not just police, but police in particular. Um, So when somebody... Like when other police go and do things that are harmful, um, 
and you are wearing that uniform like it's your job to go and stop those police from doing things because they're where they're part of you you're one now so when you join a group you can't have the power of a group and then when somebody in that group goes and does something say oh well they just did that as an individual it doesn't reflect on me it's like well no because you put that uniform on so like when you put that uniform on you are you are one with any cop that's ever caused harm to anybody you're putting on that personality and you're representing that so you are responsible for like you're you're basically putting a target on your head because you're saying i am this person yeah honestly that's the truth of it too because it's a matter of uh like even if you don't think that you're doing it it's a subconscious thing because everybody wants to feel like they belong as part of a group and what happens when you become part of a group you start taking on views beliefs all these other things as part of the group subconsciously and you may not even realize it so like it's a prime example of just people in general feeling a need to belong. And you see that throughout life, like even like high school, going back to things like that, it's like you're trying to fit in as part of the group and you'll alter your personality to fit in or not get made fun of or whatever. And again, you say with police officers too, that they won't mention certain things. They won't do certain things because they feel that the group will reject them for feeling or believing these certain things. And they'll even fall into like a prime example of somebody that never thought they would ever abuse somebody. And then they have three of their good cop buddies and say that they're like raping somebody, for example, like just to feel like part of the group and not feel backlash. Even if that person doesn't agree with it, they may do it just because they know that, you know, it could get flipped on them theoretically if they don't do it, you know? So it's like you become part of it subconsciously without even realizing that you're doing it. Right. And so you're becoming a, a magnet so like like if like this is what i mean like when people are like oh people were rude to me just because they don't like cops it's like well you decided to put on that personality in that uniform and identify so like anybody that has any type of ptsd from an interaction that they've had with the police when they see you in that uniform you're triggering that for them so like if people don't like you in that uniform it's like well like (laughs) it's legitimate that they would not like that uniform because they've had an experience with a copy of you right like a doppelganger of you did something to them so like if you're gonna wear that uniform like you're kind of asking to be treated a certain way you know because you're not you don't want to be seen as an individual anymore right so if you want to be seen as an individual then be an individual and then you're just accountable for yourself right like it's you can't really have it both ways if you want the power then you're accountable for the group as well in my opinion yeah i definitely agree with that too so i guess to uh start wrapping stuff up because i could definitely go on for another episode if you wanted to but i feel like hour and a half is usually a pretty good spot for people Um, I always like to leave with uh, words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there's any words of wisdom you could possibly bestow on people, what would it be? Don't answer questions to cops. You don't have to answer questions. You are uh, not obligated to answer questions and answering questions is going to only be used against you. So um, do your research, know your rights and um, just be smarter than that. Hey, people are already doing it with work. Do it with the cops. Give them, give it the minimum. Just enough to get by. That's all you need to do. <laughs> but uh, I guess another thing to wrap it up, if anybody enjoyed this conversation, uh, where would they come and find you at? Or is there any other podcast that you'd like to give a shout out to that people can come find you on there? Um, I'm just kind of randomly floating around the internet. I'm working on getting my own stuff set up by the end of this summer. So, um, if you want to see some more shows I've done, I've done some shows with, um, quite a few people that have good shows. So if you Google my name, 
um, Jamie Jay, then you will find me on other people's shows. Um, I did some stuff with, uh, I think five or six other people. So, um, you can definitely find me if, if you look, but there's not really like one spot that I can be located at yet. Speaking of that though, really good episode. Shout out to, uh, Adam and Shut X. Um, you said oh, yeah. you were on one of their episodes recently and it was a really good episode. It was, uh, I think satanic abuse or something like that it's not too far back in their feed if anybody, anybody wants to go check it out it was a really good episode and uh shout out to i think that was deborah got red pilled because deborah was on that episode <laughs> yeah yeah they were so fun i really wanted um hang out with them again they were great yeah we did a black awakening show so um yeah i'd love to see them again too for sure maybe i can get show to pop on a show he's uh been on the show twice so maybe i can get him to come on for a third time and we can get into a big group discussion with all of us <laughs> oh yeah that would be great that'd be super fun Say so after this show, I definitely want to have you pop back on. So for all the listeners that enjoyed the show, expect to hear her hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> uh, I guess everybody that enjoyed the show, have a good night and I'll uh, catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.